there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today we are talking about Volume 7, Episode 10, Out in the Open. It's time to clear their, the air, everybody. All those secrets you've been keeping, it's time to just come clean. And so we're going to be coming clean with you today. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce our fantastic hosts. I'm Megan Salinas, and I'm going to be honest, I think you all are great. There, I finally said it. I'm sorry I've been keeping that pent up so so long inside, but I'm glad to finally get that weight off my chest. And with me in the room is the fantastic Katie Cullen. I'm going to lie using specifically dramatic camera angles. <laughs> I'm very happy that you were honest about that with us just now. Was I? <laughs> and calling in from Los Angeles, the lovely Stacey Shuttleworth. I am definitely not going to lie. About anything. <laughs> Ever. And calling in all the way across the country the, is the wonderful Mark B. Donica. Well, if we're going to start telling the truth, I have to be the person to admit that I built the love loft. <gasps> Whoa. I just... So, you were... I, I thought I hired a third-party contractor. So, you are actually shipping co, Mark? You were that coalition? If you look on the the address, it's 123 Fake Street, which, of course, is my real address. <laughs> it, you know what? It's all coming together. It makes sense. And, you know, I'm finally glad that you, you came forward with this, Mark. I'm very proud of you for telling the truth. Or did I? <laughs> the plot thickens. I don't know. The camera angle zoomed in on his face. We can't see the lie detector. <laughs> it is it is very difficult to tell just when you can't look your co-hosts in the eyes. But I'm just going to assume that it is the truth. And um, I think that it's very fitting that our love loft was built on lies, given that this is an evil lair. So I'm 100% okay with this. I'm just, I'm very happy that the truth is out there now and that we can all agree that the love loft is the best and ship, shipping talk is the best. So let's go ahead and just talk about Ruby ships. Let's not even talk about the episode. We're just going to be talking about Ruby ships. <laughs> Which is a lie. <laughs> or is it? The love loft was a labor of love on Mark's part. We have to. Was it? It was a labor of my employee's love. Thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't get my hands dirty one one second. <laughs> no, Mark you just did white collar crime. <laughs> Mark was only in it for the money. This is like a classic rom-com setup where he lied about it uh, because it was part of his job. And then it's only towards the end of the podcast where he secretly realizes he's loved shipping all along. <laughs> Much like in other rom-coms, I'm an architect for some reason. And there are so many <laughs> architects that end up being romantic leads in these movies. And I don't know why, but eventually he's going to have to run to the airport uh, when we talk about our season finale. I don't know why, but he's he He's not going to get very to. far with the TSA. <laughs> but he's got to try. All rom-coms have to end with running towards the airport. Pre-check, bitches. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, let's go ahead and oh, there. this is a big episode to talk about. This was a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and get into it. This episode out in the open starts very, you know, we talked a lot. Uh, earlier this volume about the parallels to volume three and much like 
the ending of volume three, we get a huge grim attack in the city of Mantle. And like, it's just chaos and pandemonium. And they come across that, that chaos and pandemonium with this excellent crane shot of grim and civilians running through the city. And that's the way this episode starts off. And it, it's absolutely spectacular. And like as soon as that crane shot starts, you know you're in for a wild ride. This was so much fun. What were your initial thoughts uh, regarding this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. What a masterstroke. We've been complimenting Crew B all season. And this is such a, or I should say, this is the beginning of a wonderful payoff that they've provided all of the groundwork for. They lay, they've laid every single piece of groundwork for this moment, or for these moments, I should say. And it's it's just going to make this week go that much slower as we're watching this live. I, I, I'll be interested to see how it fits into like the feature cut, but this was a wonderful episode. Yeah, I don't think I've been more mad at an ending of Ruby <laughs> in a long time because it's the second this episode ended, I immediately was like, no, wait, give me the next one. <laughs> I can't wait another week to see how this wraps up. We set up two ultimate showdowns of ultimate destiny. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Stacy, how about you? This episode, as soon as like we realized it was ending, both my husband and I, when we were watching, it was like, no, no, not now. <laughs> <laughs> now we get to wait but this, this god we've been ramping up to this and now all of our pieces are in place we have all the background we need we we've had an absolutely lovely storytelling season and now we are launching into the action and this was such a satisfying way to launch into that action to get back to you know the basics of grim fighting and the tenets of teamwork and seeing how all of these developments through the season have come together in these action moments that were, I mean, beautifully storyboarded, beautiful, the emotion that we got, even though we had very brief glimpses of most of our teams and most of our characters, we still experienced such a range of emotion, such a range of connection. This was just so artfully put together, everything that led up to this episode. Yeah, it this really does feel like a really great payoff episode and yeah. also, you know, perfectly setting up for the finale. Katie. I felt pretty similar to the way you did, Stacy. I this episode was such a great exercise in putting all the pieces into place. Like over the course of this season, these past couple seasons and the whole series, we've set up a lot of things and a lot of essentially visual shorthand. So Ironwood getting on the TV with Robin and we have that visual shorthand of, oh, she's using her semblance. We know what this does. Bringing back around the whole school monitor, taking the kids to school bit with Jean telling them, you know, what to do. And then also that visual shorthand of, okay, Ren's semblance, Jean's semblance. This is how this works. Like they've worked so hard giving us all of these bits for all of these characters. And this episode was just a masterclass of putting them all into place. It was a lot of fun to watch. And I think one of the best grim killing strategies to date, which is saying something. 
I kind of have to concur that there were a few moments in this episode that made me want to dust off one of our old segments from our old platform, uh, the grim kill of the week. <laughs> like, yeah. like there were there were definitely a few points where I was like, oh, man, that could win grim kill of the week. I don't know. And then like then we got a scene that topped that. And I was like, ah, this is such a hard choice. <laughs> um, Let's be real. The winner of grim kill of the week was when you have three light characters taking down a tank off that. Let's let's go ahead and talk about this a little bit, because uh, there's such good foreshadowing in this volume, because this isn't the, the first time where Penny's words it'll be just like Beacon again, kind of <laughs> ring true. And that's that's exactly what we're getting with this big, bombastic grim fight. And our, our teams are basically kind of separated into sort of groups of threes. We've got Narrow, what, uh, Narrow. I just created a ship name for, for Marrow and Nora, apparently. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Nora. <laughs> nah. Hard pass. Everyone's like, no. Oh, scrap that. Uh, so Nora, Weiss, and Marrow are working together. Hare and P- Harriet and Penny and Ruby are together. Vine, John, and Ren. Elm, Blake, and Yang. All of these guys are, are working throughout the, the city to try to get people to safety and are taking people and are taking down Grimm. Uh, who was a standout for you? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Seeing Vine completely like stretches powers to that extent was amazing to me. Uh, I think that that was one of the most impressive pieces of um, like semblance use that we saw. Uh, and just John and Ren and Vine working together in, in the hole was one of my favorites. Uh, but also Elm. Elm is best girl. <laughs> let me just say. Absolutely. Um, no, the, when Vine extended his arms, I was really, this is a weird thing to compare it to, but it reminded me of, uh, Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2 <laughs> on the train, just like, move, citizens! <laughs> Only he was doing that with Grimm. It was fantastic. It was kind of super badass. <laughs> yes. Mark, who was a standout for you this time? Totally agree. When you asked the question, the first thing that came to my mind was Vine, but Elm being just like, I love Elm's ability to, or her semblance of being able to plan her roots and do whatever she needs to do. But if we're talking standout, it's got to be Elm. I'm not, nope, it's got to be Vine. <laughs> How about you, Katie? Who takes it? In terms of big flashy things, I it's got to be Elm and the rocket launcher. Just like, yeah, we're all having trouble beating the the murder mammoths. Except for me. I can take two by myself. Like, damn, girl, can we go out drinking? Can can we just be friends? I, I don't care if you guys think you don't make friends. You do, and I want to talk. But in terms of the overall fight, I really do think the most impressive one was, let's be real, more Penny and Ruby. Partially because you kind of see the whole Harriet trying to do things on her own and it not really happening. And you also get to see a great piece of strategy because you see a lot of on the fly strategy in terms of combo moves and things like this. But this one, they actually had to step back, think it through, set it up and then execute. And you don't see a lot of that much planning going into a lot of grim fights. So I really appreciated the let's remove a tusk, 
put it right in the way and then make it fall on it. Like I really appreciated that level of strategy and being that creative when Ruby couldn't get the silver eyes going and Harriet was having trouble and Penny was getting thrown around. Again, three DPS versus a tank. I have to concur that as far as creativity goes, I think Ruby and Penny take it for sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, everybody was so, so good in this. But I'm actually, for for me, I'm going to actually give it to somebody else. I'm going to give it to Jean. Because even though it wasn't necessarily a big moment, like it's not him climbing on top of a grim and taking it down like Legolas would in uh, in Return of the King or anything like that. It, it Although I would have loved to have seen somebody take out one of those Goliath grim uh, a la the way Legolas does it. But like just... The moment, like, a path is cleared and he goes into I am directing the crosswalk at school and just leaning down and going, show them how it's done, kids. I'm not going to lie, guys. This might sound kind of stupid, but I teared up a little bit. (laughs) It was just so good. It was just such a nice. Megan. Yes. I have a question for you. Uh Uh-huh. Did you just become a thirsty John mom? <laughs> I was going to say some of the casserole moms died over the course of this season. And this is Jean still working hard to save their kids. Yeah. Cry. <laughs> I did not become a thirsty casserole mom because I'm not a mom. But <laughs> <laughs> now, you know that moment in Steven Universe when Connie asks Pearl to teach her to fight because she wants to, like, defend the Earth and Pearl's eyes just get all watery and she goes, oh, okay. Like, that's great. That's more of what I'm feeling when when Jean goes, show them how it's done, kids. That's me. I'm that Pearl gif. That's that's what I'm feeling. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> all right. All right. What <laughs> <laughs> were you suggesting that there were openings, Mark, and someone had to fill them? Yes. For the role of thirsty casserole. <laughs> I do love that, though. If anybody wants to sign up, <laughs> that's so great. I feel like we need shirts like this is our next shirt, like casserole mom squad or something like that. No, please, because I want that. I'm not a mom, <laughs> but I want it. <laughs> Can anyone draw a casserole? Does anyone have like a really good reference of one of those floral Pyrex dishes from like the 60s? Mm-hmm. Uh, casserole crew or something like that. There Hashtag casserole crew. <laughs> <laughs> But um, it it was just such a nice, again, it was a nice moment of just showing, you know, again, Jean's strengths as a leader. Um, I think the best trio definitely was, um, I think Elm and Blake and Yang made for the best trio, though, um, out of all these, out of all of these kind of one-off vignettes that we're getting. Although I do want to drill down a little bit on this moment with Ruby because there is um a, there is a distinct beat as more grimmer coming in where it seems like she tries to activate her silver eye powers and it doesn't quite it doesn't quite go that way it's it's hard to tell if she's just having trouble getting in the right mindset or if 
It's just like she doesn't have time to concentrate. It's hard to tell what's going on. And in regards to whether or not she feels like it's appropriate to use the silver eyes right now. But like there is a beat where we stop. It seems like she's going to activate them. And then she doesn't. And the fight kicks back into gear. Now, does this mean that she's still struggling with this power since she hasn't really had a lot of time to sit down and develop it? Or does it mean we're just, you know, going like it's not time to use that yet because it's going to take a lot out of her? Is it like are we waiting for a bigger moment potentially when Cinder's running around? Why? Why did this not work now? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I do think it's a this is something she doesn't quite have control over it yet. And we really got that writ large last season when she summons Jin and goes, I don't have a question. I just needed more time. So it's not something she's had a lot of time to practice or think about. And I think if she had been practicing, they would have taken some time out of the montage to show us that. So I think that it's possible that that's another thing that they haven't told Ironwood. But I, I, I rather like that. Yes, this is something that she can activate under desperation only at this point because it's going to take some time and some training and some focus. And she doesn't have that down yet. It's a reminder to the audience that, yes, this is still here. We haven't forgotten about it, but she can't activate it on command yet. Which makes me think that, yeah, it might show up a little later when she's facing Cinder, if she winds up facing Cinder in this volume. Or it might show up sometime in the next volume, now that we have that little reminder to the audience, like, yeah, she, this is still an option that's on the table, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work. Mark, what do you think? Uh, oh boy, Cinder really threw a bit of a monkey wrench into a whole bunch of the plans and thoughts of just everybody because people don't know that she's an active participant on the field on the playing field and i had a similar thought katie where uh, ruby's gonna see cinder one way or another and react appropriately and at that point i'm i'm wondering if we'll get a scene now that we know what cinder is here for if she kills Freya, gets her powers, and essentially becomes a double maiden all the way... All right, I'll stop. But <laughs> if, if, she be, if she becomes, for lack of, a better t- lack of a better term, a double maiden, and Ruby hits, this, hits a silver eye attack, and she's fine. <gasps> that, that, that's Yikes. something that I see as a possibility if they really want to hammer home, oh crap, Cinder is something to really be uh, feared at this point. 2OP, please nerf. (laughs) Uh, Stacy, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely saw it as more of a hopeful moment of a, well, this is a thing I have when things get bad. I'm going to give it my best and hope I can bring it out uh, without having any expectation necessarily that it was going to work. And so I don't think that she has much control of it. I don't honestly know if that's been a main focus of hers with all of the more team-based training and you know actively useful useful skills for protecting people that they've kind of been focused towards so i Mm -hmm. think i think it's been on the back burner but 
not necessarily one of her like actively practiced skills. So at this point, we're still just throwing it out there occasionally and seeing what works. Yeah, it's interesting because ever since they got to Atlas, they haven't actually, at least on screen, really spent any time with Maria, um, as far as we can tell. So even though Ruby's been going on all these different Huntsman missions, like developing her silver eye power does seem to have taken a backseat to, you know, being real Huntsman um, and, and, you know, all the election stuff and everything like that. So, yeah, her actual training seems to have taken a back seat once she got her license, essentially. So it's like, hey, look, I know how to drive now. I don't have to, I don't have to, like, it's kind of like when you stop riding your bike, I guess, when you get your license, even though it's an important skill. You know, if your bike, if riding your bike uh, counted as, like, a massive OP power that could destroy a bunch of monsters. You're like, oh, I don't need that anymore. I can drive. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's just been like there hasn't been time and like the they haven't been in that desperate state. So yeah, it has sort of fallen um, to the sidelines a little bit. And now that we're, we're gearing up in a big grim invasion, yeah, it's like uh, not not right now. Um, I do think it's going to happen at some point, whether that's because a bigger Grim comes flying through the sky, like, like a, I don't know. T-Rex Grim. T-Rex Grim. Maybe. Maybe a T-Rex Grim is going to become, come stomping through the city or whether it's a big Grim or whether it's Cinder, I, I think we are going to get another instance of the silver eyes before the end of the volume and i feel like this scene was a bit of a reminder just like she doesn't completely have a handle on it yet and don't worry guys it's coming (laughs) and i appreciate that when it serves a narrative function and a character function so good job writing crew um yeah do we have any other thoughts on uh this sort of fighting stuff that's going all, all the grim fighting stuff um, that's going on in Mantle. I almost said in Beacon because that's how reminiscent it feels. Um, before we t- start talking about uh, this big old broadcast that goes on. Nope. <laughs> All right, let's get to it then. Um, yeah, we get we get something I didn't think was going to happen until the actual end of the volume, but we get a broadcast message from Robin and Ironwood. And this was such a wonderful display of trust on on both of these characters' part to each other and also a wonderful way to display to everybody in Mantle that what was being said was the truth and that there is nothing left to hide, so to speak. You know, we know that there's a little bit more left to hide, but basically they're coming clean with everything. Um... This was a great broadcast. What did we think of the way the truth was delivered and the way Robin facilitated that? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. And I think that having Robin there was absolutely necessary, especially with such a state of panic and broadcasting this in such a state of panic that without that trustworthy figure, it it showed the true connection and that 
oh, this wasn't just like a corporate message coming down trying to reassure the people. And I especially appreciated all of this uh, because in a lot of series, in a lot of senses, when we start getting into this like grand, magical, huge world-saving stakes, a lot of the times the focus narrows so thoroughly just to, you know, our heroes, to the people who are mainly involved with it. And here we are seeing the message being shared with the people still looking at the world, the actual citizens, the people who are affected by all of this. So I always appreciate when we continue to think, you know, of of everybody involved, not just our main heroes. I agree. Mark, what do you think? I loved it until they revealed, uh, or they reminded us that Cinder and Neo were watching. And then I went, ah, <laughs> oh, oh, shoot, this ain't, this isn't great. Um, but I think the, I, I agree with Stacy. the notion to go straight to the people with news like this, you never know how they're going to react. And in this situation, it was all very positive. And at least for the pieces that they knew that were on the playing field, it helped them, it helped suss them out. I thought this was so well executed. I thought this was a really great way to do things. And yeah, I agree with Megan. It came a lot earlier than I expected, but it worked really well, partially because at that point, the population does need a shot of hope because we've got a full-on Attack on Titan scenario happening here, complete with giant monsters attempting to murder everyone. So... Showing the two of them, showing uh, Robin and Ironwood working together when they had up until essentially that day been working against each other is a great thing to show to the citizens for one. And for another, this is one of those things where we noticed the first time we watched and then Megan figured out the reason the second time we watched that shorthand of we're doing this with Robin Semblance, everything he says is the truth, and then they would cut in and show close-ups of Ironwood's face and not show the semblance. Like, we're made, there's all the jokes in the reaction video are about, cut back to the wide, Bob, cut back to the wide. Like, show everything. And it wasn't until afterwards that Megan pointed out, you know what, I bet they cut away so he could lie about Amity being done. It's like, oh, that's brilliant. This is, again, visual shorthand, but this is, so smart and so well done. This whole episode is, but this is just a microcosm of the amazing planning that's going on in this episode on both sides of the fourth wall. Uh, it's very gratifying to see a plan come together, as it were. Um, and whether that's, you know, storytelling, just seeing the way different threads within a narrative come together, that's one thing. But it's also... Uh, just as a viewer, fun to see the good guys formulate a plan, to see that pl like that plan put into motion, and then to see the payoff for that plan. And that's this speech in particular was like phase two of that. And that was so it was really cool upon a rewatch to to catch that little detail and know how that would pay off later in the episode. Um. I, yeah, I really loved this speech. It was moving. It was great to see Robin and Ironwood standing there side by side, knowing that they were all on the same page and 
it was a great display to Mantle to be like, we are going to be working together from now on. We're not going to let Salem divide us anymore. I, I, I thought it was great. Uh, do we have any thoughts, uh, any other thoughts on this speech uh, before we take a quick break to talk about iTunes? I talked about one side of it, like lying about Amity being setting up a trap, but I really do think the other side of that trap was, and those of you in Sector 17, I'll be seeing you myself. <laughs> like, this is my location. This is where it's going to be. We know there's a serial killer in the city who's going to go for it, and this is totally a lure. And at that same thing, I disagree. I, I thought that the, the hey, all of our stuff's getting full, but I'll be there to help you. I th Why wouldn't Tyrion go to places full of people when he knows that she's going to be, or she he was told that he's going to be in that area? Why not go to an area across town and cause havoc because he knows that Robin's going to be over there? Because he's an asshole who wants to do a murder. Yeah. And the best way murder to Murder all of the innocent civilians all in one building. But the best way to demoralize the people as a whole is to go after the figurehead that's giving them hope. He's very much a point A to point B kind of person. <laughs> Do just have to take a quick moment. We gotta shout out Josh Greeley. Yes. In this episode. Uh, just the way he delivered that line, the Grim was supposed to cause panic, not make them friends. <laughs> the way he like borderline screamed that was just so, so good. <sighs> a lot of his delivery this episode reminded me a lot of Mark Hamill Joker. And I liked that quite a bit. You know, what? yeah, let, before before we talk about iTunes, let's talk about... <laughs> Let's talk about Tyrion for a little bit. This is just so, so fun um, because he's he's been very much lurking in the shadows this volume. It's been, it was great seeing him, like, well, not great. Take that with a grain of salt. It wasn't great seeing him in the election episode, but it was cool seeing that he was still very much a player in this game somebody a force to be reckoned with and so seeing him again in this episode and basically having watts tell him hey you go do your thing and do what you do best um was a lot of fun what was your take on uh Tyrion in this episode let's start with stacy again with a grain of salt but Tyrion is just so delightful and so far as sometimes we just need the characters who just absolutely delight in being horrible. <laughs> and Tyrion is such an interesting look at that because he's this unbridled force of chaos. And then we have Watts kind of like directing that chaos. And things just always get very interesting. He's such a wild card, which, you know, Bad for our heroes. Great for the audience. <laughs> uh, I 100% agree. Mark? Uh, you kind of nailed everything that I was going to say, so I don't really have much to add. <laughs> Katie? I really do appreciate him in this episode, and I really do appreciate the... God, just everything. 
and how much he's enjoying himself when he thinks he's cornered Robin and how much you can see the, oh, I did come to the wrong neighborhood, didn't I? Realization when backup shows up. Like, that entire scene was just beautiful. So good. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, Crow, and we get a little bit of a payoff, too, with this. Uh, This is the setup for, you know, that thing we've been seeing in the opening over and over again, Um, that big fight with Tyrion and, uh, and Robin and Crow. And maybe maybe this is dipping our toe a little bit too much into um, conspiracy, not necessarily conspiracy corner, What's but that? like huh? let's get a, again? <laughs> let's get a little prediction-y. How is this fight gonna go? Uh, because granted, as Mark said in the last episode, uh, the the openings aren't gospel, but for the most part, we saw Robin and Crow taking center stage in that particular fight and Clover was nowhere to be seen that might just be to throw off the audience or whatever but how is this fight going to go it's a three-on-one match let's go ahead predictions now of how this fight is going to go let's start with Mark if there's an opportunity to kill Clover it's this one and and wrong. If, if we're looking if, if we're looking at the opening thing the first per- Tyrion is somebody who can acknowledge strengths and weaknesses He's fought against Crow before. He knows that Robin doesn't necessarily have a attack-based semblance or a, or a battle battle semblance, but that Clover Clover got him, you know, for all intents and purposes, right, right at the beginning of the reveal. So one would tell me that that would be his target, would be somebody who can who excels and has a little bit more of a um, a little bit more of an advantage over, excuse me, everybody else. So I think that at the very least, uh, Clover would be Tyrion's target to start, and then that would devolve into Crow going pretty ham on him, and uh, Robin probably trying to excuse the the term I'm about to use, reel him back in. That that's how I would see the the fight going. Katie. Yeah, I think Clover's going down first. Let's be completely real. And partially because of the opening and partially because that is a pretty sound strategy that you've laid out there. I also do think that we are going to see a lot of desperate Tyrion in this fight because Crow fought him to almost a standstill on his own. And now we have two other very capable huntsmen, huntresses, fighting alongside Crow. Like... He knows he's in trouble. This is very much a you-came-to-the-wrong-neighborhood bit. So we'll see what desperation fighting looks like for him. Who knows? He might die in this fight. I'd be okay with that. I'll miss Tyrion, but I won't be sad he's gone. Stacy, Miss him, but not that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, thank goodness. Uh, no, I think... I do think that the scene from the opening there's still a good chance that it's just a misdirection and, you know, 0.5 seconds later, Clover jumps down from above or something like that. Uh, but 
I also very much see this as Clover being taken out first. Uh, originally, when, when it kind of became clear that they were paired up in this fight from last week's episode, I was like, oh, okay, Clover and Crow are going to confront Tyrion, and then Clover's going to get, you know, for better or worse, knocked out of the fight, and Robin's going to show up as backup then. So the setup is different, but I still think that, that we're headed uh, in the direction of Clover being put out of commission one way or another. I'm actually on the complete opposite side. I'm kind of with you in that I think the opening is intentionally a misdirect in this moment. Um, I think it's going to be all three of them. And I, even though it might get a little dire at some places, I think this is where we see Tyrion meet his end. I, and I don't necessarily think it's going to be a comedic way to, to see this character exit, but given Clover's semblance, I can definitely see it being a moment similar to last volume where Tyrion, like where Adam got hit with a motorcycle <laughs> and, and granted that, that didn't kill him, but like given Clover's semblance, I can totally see a moment like that being how Tyrion meets his end. <laughs> how did Tyrion die? <laughs> I don't know. A building dropped on him. <laughs> did we double tap the body? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Robin would double tap for sure. She knows better. <laughs> yeah. All right, then, guys, we're going to take a quick moment to talk to you about iTunes. Folks, thank you so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave a comment. We love hearing from you, and it does a lot to help our numbers. It makes us more searchable for people looking for Rooster Teeth-related content and people discussing these shows. And honestly, it just brightens up our day. It always makes me smile whenever we get to see a uh, new review, and we have a new one this week, and we like giving shout-outs to people who do. So, uh, for Dragon Warrior 318 left a review, awesome reviews and theories. They wrote, I love this podcast. With all the things you guys cover, it's awesome, plus I love hearing your thoughts on what's going on with this episode you guys are reviewing at the time. The shipping loft and conspiracy corners are great. I'm always excited to hear what you guys talk about from Genlock to Camp Camp to my favorite and the reason I listen, Ruby. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Dragon Warrior 318 That is a human with good taste. Indeed. We also love interacting with you guys on social media. You know, we have a Discord and we have a lot of really fun people in that Discord. But we also have a Twitter and a lot of uh, a lot of people this especially this week have been using Twitter as a way to reach out to us. So we want to give you guys a few shout outs on Twitter as well. I've got one. You got one? Go for it. From uh, MT Midnight 17. It's always a delight to tune in and hear the shenanigans and theories the Rooster Team have after every Ruby episode. Looking forward to the next episode and hoping for another segment into the Love Loft. Thank you, Empty Midnight 17. <laughs> so, so, so nice. And um, I'm realizing the reason my it's not loading is because I'm not actually looking. <laughs> I'm not looking at the right profile on Twitter. Whoops. Right. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I will give you your nice little Love Loft segment. Um... We need a ship name for Crow, Clover, Robin, and my suggestion is Authority Kink. 
you're you're talking about for the the ot3 for my <laughs> ot3 yes <laughs> let us know folks in um either on twitter you know what let us know on our discord we have specifically a shipping uh thread called the garbage barge oh. let us know what the ot3 name is uh and, and i will say i don't usually say at me on the discord but um at me <laughs> We have uh, another Twitter shout out, uh, Halcyon Traveler on Twitter, listening to at the Rooster Team talk about one of my tweets. Is it weird to fanboy over people who are themselves fans? No. no. Uh, Halcyon Traveler was the person who pointed out on Twitter last last week that uh, Willow Schnee had all, you know, the, the house bugged and that this conversation about Salem being immortal took place in her house. So she probably has it on tape. Uh, thank you so, so much. It's not weird at all. We love, oh, we love you guys. It's so nice. It's not weird at all. Um, do, 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 do. Andrew Fedge really appreciated that we put some of our, our Voltron into, into this episode of Ruby. Uh, high five water slide. Definitely had some fun, fair game talk, uh, that we all participated in this, this week on Twitter. Also, High Five Water Slide is just kind of a great name, you it's know? It's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, Jade linked us something really, really fun from Ebby, uh, Ebimi Love, I think is how you, you pronounce it on Twitter, underscore. Uh, she sent us the Let's Go Lesbians <laughs> bit from um, where they they took that clip and put Ruby footage over it from last week. It was pretty great. And I also wanted to thank uh, at half underscore the battle who just submitted a question for me, which I responded. So like if, if you wanted to us to discuss stuff, particularly on the show or address stuff on the show, or if there's something that you really want to know right at that moment, don't be afraid to tweet us. I, I ended up responding to him. So uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I just wanted to thank him for his question. Yeah. Oh no, there's, Ruby discussion on Twitter is always super, super fun. Um, so yeah, no matter what, guys, we we really appreciate all the social media interactions. We appreciate you going to iTunes. All of it. Thank you guys so, so much. Whatever way you support us, whether it's those interactions, whether it's uh, supporting us with a subscription on Anchor, whether it's going to our Tee Public store and buying t-shirts of the silly things that we say, it really, really means a lot to us. So thank you guys so, so much for everything. We love you. You're the best. All right, let's get back to this episode. Uh, so before we get to the final scene, I want to talk, we touched on it a little bit. I want to talk about Cinder and Neo in uh this in this moment um you know they they make the big announcement to everybody in atlas and mantle uh so basically the truth is out there the truth is out there about salem and this is also (laughs) telling this is also telling cinder and neo who are on this super secret mission they thought they were the only ones in atlas at the moment they were unaware that Tyrion and Watts were here. So this is telling Cinder, shoot, the plan has changed. What's the next step for these agents of chaos? Let's start with Stacy. I mean, I think they're headed straight towards the Winter Maiden. I think that is, pro- well, that is Cinder's priority number one. And right now, Neo is 
lukewarm about acquiescing. <laughs> I still think that the second Neo has the opportunity to peace out and completely betray Cinder, <laughs> it's happening. So if somehow Ruby and Neo cross paths before she gets to that facility where the Winter Maiden is, it's all over. And then, good luck, Cinder. <laughs> Ooh. Um, how about you, Mark? Yeah, dude. Like, bad things are gonna happen, and I wonder... Like, we haven't seen Winter on the battlefield yet. Mm-hmm. So I figure she's with Freya just to sort of help keep her calm and, and for, for various things. Oh, that was another thing that, that we didn't shout out earlier. Shout out to Ren and Jean for uh, sheltering the emotions of all of the people that were single filing away from all of the grim that Vine was keeping away. Like, yo, sweet job, bro. But um, it looks like... At the very least, Winter is is going to be in for a pretty knockout dragout fight, and let's see what happens with that maiden. If if that's the case, Mark, does Winter even stand a chance? Maidens are OPAF. It's not fair. <laughs> yes, but her her training, her militaristic training, and being ready to take on the certain abilities of the maiden could prepare her more so than anybody else that or other than people that have fought cinder in terms of being ready for what sort of a power explosion is going to be coming straight at her i like that i like that thought katie how about you i'm taking a moment to work through a new thought and i'm not sure if i want to present that to the class or not (laughs) um we do know that Neo is that they're splitting the party at this point. That Cinder is going for the maiden, and that Neo is going for Oscar. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of concerns about Oscar right now, like where he is and if he's safe, and you know things like that. So it's um, it's a thing, and I don't think Neo is going to be able to get close to him looking like anyone he knows because he knows them too well for a nonverbal illusion to stay up for too long. Especially if she tries to come at him as Ruby and he's trying to chat with her because that's what they do. Um, yeah, I have a lot of concerns about Oscar. I do appreciate that we have this plan and counter plan in place and then just these two spanners in the works that literally nobody else knows about hacking things up on the back end. So I will be interested to see how all of that goes. And I'm not sure if Freya will survive the oncoming fight. Ooh. <laughs> um, talking about Neo uh, and potentially taking on the form of Ruby to get close to Oscar, you know, it, you only have to keep up the ruse for so long. Um, yeah, it... It wouldn't last for very long, but I don't know. Uh, I I really don't like the idea of, of, yeah, Neo using Ruby's form to get close to Oscar to try to steal that lamp. But you're right, Stacy. She might just kind of decide partway through that mission that mm, getting the lamp's not her number one priority and might just peace out and be like, I'll get the lamp later. Um I did want to give uh, a really quick shout out. Um, talk. I know we already did our Twitter shout outs, but just talking about Oscar and Ruby in particular, uh, Janice 
Ace Vito, and I'm probably definitely mispronouncing that, uh, sent us a tweet um, from at Stonehill uh, talking about a background illustration in the Schnee household, um, just of background stuff. Talking about Ruby in particular. I can't believe this illustration. Just look at it. You've got two separate roses circling each other before coming together at the end of the journey. Just with that. That's incredible storytelling right there. Hashtag Rose Garden. So not to not to send us up into the love loft a little bit, but if Oscar sort of, you know, is smitten with Ruby, that would be an excellent choice of illusion for Neo to take. Um, but I also just really like that particular note about roses ultimately coming together because a lot of this is, uh, you know, dealing with summer rose and ruby rose. And so the idea of like their both of their stories being intertwined leading towards the conclusion. I like that. Whether that was just kind of a detail that was just meant to literally just be the background art is one thing on the other hand if it was a storytelling detail that's pretty that's pretty cool so kudos to that thanks for sending us that um but yeah i i agree stacy i think neo's ready to peace out and will not hesitate to uh (laughs) to backstab cinder at a moment's notice whether or not that's going to be before or after she makes a grab for the lamp is that's up in the air i don't know (laughs) I do like the idea of a match between Winter and Cinder, though. And I really like the idea of, you know, discipline um, and uh, like the, the idea of like this unbridled force of nature and unbridled power versus a force of strict discipline and, you know, sake for doing what you need to for the sake of duty. I like the the idea of those two forces being at odds and coming to blows because uh, they are two very, very different type of people. I, I think that would make for a very interesting match. Um, any other thoughts on Cinder and Neo before we move into the finale of this episode? You know, what is the over under on Cinder even being able to forcefully grab the Winter Maiden's powers? We know kind of how the transferal works, if we assume, I mean, we kind of seem that our Winter Maiden, Freya, knows more or less how it works and what the, tra- like, what kind of transfer is being set up. So, are we going to see a situation in which, okay, maybe Cinder gets the upper hand, but even if we get the worst case scenario and she tries to forcefully take the powers, are we going to see more of control on Freya's part and she still thinks of Winter or if you are being, you know she's doing a murder, does it automatically transfer it to the person who takes your life? Yeah dude that rules. Do we have solid solid rules on that? No but that's a hell of a theory Well here's the theory that I was the thing that I was pondering sharing with the class and we're here so we might as well um, I'd include a trigger warning for those of you who are a little more sensitive on this sort of thing, but if Freya sees the fight go south, she might choose to go out on her own terms and ensure that the powers go to Winter instead of Cinder. 
That was a thought I had also. I, I Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only no, one. No, I that was when when we were having that conversation just a few minutes ago. That was where my mind went to. It's yep. it's not out of the realm of possibility, um, especially because we don't necessarily know anything really about Freya and the type of person that she is. I I, I definitely count that as a possibility. What if? And I'm going to stay in conspiracy corner here a little bit. Given what we know at the end of this episode, what if they actually are sort of anticipating that someone might make a play for the Winter Maiden? Like, it's one thing to just send somebody there to like, hey, try to keep this person safe. What if they kind of set up a trap similar to what we'll be talking about in just a second? They don't necessarily know that Cinder is in this city, but they know Salem's forces are, and they know that Salem's forces want the Winter Maiden. What's to stop them from having set up a sort of trap where Freya is located on the off chance that people have been able to uncover her location? I have my doubts about that one, namely because they don't know that Cinder... Like, I'm sure there's all sorts of security and whatnot, probably even more so right now that everything is going to hell. But I don't know that they would have set up a specific trap there because the two that they know for sure are in the city, they've already set up traps for them in the form of, hey, our communications tower is done. Why don't you come check it out? And hey, I'm going to be in District 17 all by myself. Like, they've already set up two very tempting traps for people whose minds they kind of know how they work. I don't think they will be prepared for anyone of note to come for the Maiden, and I definitely don't think they'll be prepared for another Maiden to come for the Winter Maiden. I think this is going to be an ugly surprise. I think not having confidence that they would prepare for any eventuality is a little silly. Like, this is still a military operation, and you never know what bait people are going to go to. You'd be bloody happy that they fell for the right bait. But <laughs> I, I also think I, I had a, a terrible idea. Um, you know, Neo can turn into people, right? I know that she's not going after the Winter Maiden, but all she has to do is see Freya and she can transform into her. Mm, and oh she could use it for infiltration or at least for information gathering for, for at least a short period of time. Or she could turn into Winter. But uh, Use that right. to get past I, I would... I would have said that if being a bedridden person that likes to sleep a lot wouldn't would be a little bit more beneficial for somebody who doesn't talk. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like seeing Freya walking around, everyone would immediately be, holy shit, why are you out? Let, let's get you back to your room. I'm not saying that she would walk around. I'm saying that she would stay in bed. Now, oh, like a like a wolf in sheep's clothing, like a my <laughs> my grandma, what big eyes you have. Like a Little Red Riding Hood situation. Ooh. Um, I have a thought. All right. Uh, I love, I love that. I love that theory, Mark. I think that's a lot of fun, especially with the Little Red Riding Hood. Um parallel to to wrap it back around um what if if you don't mind i'm gonna grab this little red thread here and i'm just gonna move it over here earlier in the season we saw freya's hospital room and we saw one of those um aura transferring machines in her room what if now stay with me on this guys what if this is a trap for cinder 
And this is a chance to rob her of her maiden powers. Good Lord. Mm. How great would that be? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that's a little out there. It's a little out there. And it's it's assuming a lot that they would have that in place. But that they can knock her out long enough to get her in the tube for one. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. Or building on Katie's theory, if they know that something might be happening and Freya knows that it's going to end her life, but she willingly does the power transfer before Cinder gets there. And so that that's what the trap for Cinder is, is her thinking, oh, I'm going to kill Freya and that'll be that. But Oh yeah, that might be what they're doing right now for sure. She's already gone. Winter already has the powers and boom, superhero fight in a hospital. Heck yes. So so the trap that, that first sprung to my mind and it works with your theory, Mark, so we're going to go with it, was uh, sure. Cinder looming over Freya's bed and pulling back the covers. <laughs> but surprise, bitch, it's winter. <laughs> Very sophisticated theory, I know, just... <laughs> I just love that. Surprise! <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay. Uh, I, I love all this. Um, I love I love this theory. I, I love the, the idea that we are potentially um, getting ready for another Maiden Brawl because that was such a huge highlight of Volume 5. I love the idea that we could be gearing up to another one. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, But yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this final scene. Talking about definite traps being laid. Uh, This is a moment where, uh, again, talking about wonderful setup and payoff, they cut to a close-up shot of Ironwood as he says, Amity Tower has been completed, and uh, why don't you go and get it, basically, Watts. And... (laughs) Then Watts goes, yeah, I think I'm going to go and get it. So we have Watts just strolling through Amity Arena. Uh, It's been so long since we've seen Amity Arena. It's been so long since we've gotten this cool, um, just Super Smash Brothers-esque arena where people fight, where the terrain changes, and the way that pieces move and interlock. It's so cool. So it's so cool to see this arena again and we find out sure enough this was a trap and ironwood gets the jump on watts and we have but something that i don't think ironwood was anticipating was watts does seem to be able to hack the arena around him or at least activate certain functions of it and so we are getting, for the first time in several volumes, another Amity Arena brawl. And it's between Watts and Ironwood, both of whom have pistols. Awesome guns that are also guns. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we don't know what either of their semblances do. We don't know what combat-wise Watts is capable of. Uh, but I'm really excited about getting to see Ironwood back in action after multiple volumes. How is this fight? What One, how did you react to the setup? And two, how is this fight going to go? Let's start with Katie. I did a lot of yelling when Watts pulled out his gun and it had a revolving barrel inside a revolving barrel because that is capital E extra and perfect for him. And... It, <laughs> 
It's really hard to walk this line because, on the one hand, that's a great design. I appreciate the human being that did that design. That's a good design. And on the other hand, that son of a bitch. <laughs> like, in character, god damn it, of course he did something like that. Out of character, oh, that's a really good design. Like, it's, it's, it's weird. I don't want to insult any of our prop designers because it's a great prop design. But I fucking hate this pretentious man and this revolver that he himself made. It's so weird. It really just depends on what side of the fourth wall you're on. Um, yeah, so that's my little, my two cents on that noise. Um, also, Ironwood's gun is called Due Process, which makes me really, really happy in a really terrible sort of fashion. So I'm really looking forward to both of them bringing guns to a gunfight and just seeing how this goes, honestly. Stacy. Yeah, Watch's gun made complete and total sense to me as something his character would possess. I know! I hate him for it! Oh, it just... I mean, it is ridiculous, but it is absolutely him to a T. And I cannot even, like, pretend to make assumptions about this fight because I feel like both of them are fairly shrouded in mystery as far as what the true extent of their power is. Uh, All I know is that they are both super incredibly dramatic we have already seen that in the setup. We've already seen it with Watts' gun. And it's just going to be the most dramatic thing. And we're probably going to have some really delightful surprises along the way. Mark? Stacy, you make that sound like they're going to... I don't know. It makes it sound like we're not about to have a knockout dragout fight between two military military-ish superpowers like oh i think this is gonna be really nice this is very fun and delightful <laughs> let's have tea i don't well spirited these boys are gonna hang out discuss their problems and then everybody's gonna get along huh that's not the impression you got <laughs> what i loved the implication of 1v1 me on final destination bro that we got from the approach from either side i wonder how much of ironwood's cybernetics are hooked up to any sort of a network. Hopefully they're all independently functional or else Watts will just, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> um, but we are in a military operation where we can we saw right away that Watts has the ability to hack at his fingertips. And if he can get his hands close to or on any major equipment, he can change it to how he sees fit i already see some sort of like a um he i I figure he might be able to control almost like technomancy all of the uh, pieces that of geometry that he's creating in the ether for the platforms and just start throwing at throwing them at james um it's i think this is probably going to be and i don't know this is saying something this is going to be one of the most anime fights that Ruby is going to have. I was going to say, you're basically envisioning a Kingdom Hearts boss fight mm-hmm. here. I'm really excited um, about... I, I always really appreciate, you know, a fight with good choreography, but in Ruby especially, a fight that makes really good use of its set of its scenery as well. And I, I concur, Mark. I feel like we're getting ready for a really big anime action set piece we might not get another winter or or another maiden fight in this volume but i kind of think that what we're about to get with the amity arena fight is going to be you know 
on par with that maiden fight from volume five. Like we're going to have all these pieces of architecture flying through the air. We're going to have two people shooting at each other from a distance and wanting to get in close. I am concerned, Mark, as you alluded to, that Ironwood can potentially have his cybernetic parts hacked. I am concerned with that or or disabled or made inert in some way. But if I'm going to go ahead and if you don't mind me like camping out in conspiracy corner for a little bit, I don't think Ironwood's alone. I I think there might be somebody on standby kind of waiting to hop in if things get too dicey. Because if there's one thing I think Ironwood has sort of learned over the course of this volume is the importance of asking for help when you need it. And so I think it's, even though this could just be a one-on-one match, I think there might be somebody waiting on standby in the event that things, in the event that Arthur becomes too much of a pain in the butt. I want to put my two bits in on the hacking the limbs thing. I feel like that would be somewhat akin to hacking a toaster. Like, (laughs) it it would need to be full-on, like, ability to control machinery in order to do that, as opposed to just hacking. Because from what we've seen of the cybernetics, they're advanced, but it's not, like, connected to a network advanced. It's more, it's also a gun and fully functional as a limb advanced. So I don't know that we're going to get to that because I feel like that's not something Ironwood would have allowed. When you have a very technologically advanced country and you have some idea of what that entails, you don't really leave back doors in the stuff that's replacing about 60% of your body. Oh, if, it's, if it is his semblance, though, then that could potentially be a problem. It might not matter. Uh, we'll see. Um, I'm just... Uh, really happy like I'm really excited for this fight for another reason too I'm just really happy that Ironwood and Watts are having this one-on-one showdown because for a good chunk of this volume we were unsure about where Ironwood's loyalties lied whether or not we could trust him um, how he would react to the truth if he found out and in the last few episodes all that stuff has come to fruition, essentially. And, you know, the the curtain's been pulled back considerably. And Ironwood is still unambiguously working on the side of good. And so, I don't know, there's just something really gratifying about seeing this guy that we were unsure of for a good long while, just seeing him unambiguously being on the good guy's side and getting ready to take down a bad guy who definitely deserves to get punched in the face. On that note, then let's go ahead and wrap it up for the evening. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can follow me on Twitter at MarkBudonica and Instagram. Not too much going on right now, but if anything does, that's where you can find it. Stacy? You can find me all over uh, Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles, uh, mostly just in that cosplay world and waiting for more Ruby episodes. Katie? You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. The Twitch channel is a lot of mobile games played well and Overwatch played poorly. And if you enjoy reaction videos to these episodes, they live on that YouTube channel. 
And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't. We talk about it. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where Katie and I talk about horror things. Be sure to follow the entire team at the Rooster Team. Uh, join us on Discord. The link is in the description below. Uh, it's a really good time. It's a lot of fun. A lot of really fun people there. Uh, again, you can support us on Anchor with a monthly subscription. Uh, support us any way you can. Go to Tee Public to buy shirts of the silly things that we say. Uh, but all in all, thank you guys just, just so much for listening, so much for being here. Really excited for the next episode. And that just about does it. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye.